If you're feeding your body with faith, then faith is going to come out. If you're feeding your body with life, then life is going to come out. And if you notice, God's fighting style is completely opposite of man's. Where we see physicality, God sees spirituality. This fight is not a physical, fleshly fight, it's a spiritual fight, done mostly on our knees, in prayer. Faith is knowing who you are in Christ Jesus. The reason that we are giving in to depression and anxiety and fear, I say again, giving in, because we are gonna constantly be attacked from the enemy in these areas, but the reason that we are giving in is because we don't know who we are. Life is filled with struggles. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Whether we admit it or not, we are in a spiritual battle for life. But if we try and fight with the wrong weapons, we will always lose. On the other hand, if we choose the right weapons, the full armor of God, then we'll always win. In today's message, Herman Mason, son of senior pastor Eddie Mason, brings part four of a series entitled Stand Firm. Today he focuses on the shield of faith. I want to continue the series we've been talking about, Standing Firm. So this is part four of Standing Firm. And I just want to, I want to remind you each time really what we're talking about. And that is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. And that's what started all of this off. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wilderness, a wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. One of the things that I am seeing in every article I read and um, everything I'm hearing on the radio and everything that I'm being told by kids in school is just negative. It's negative. I'm hearing more and more about suicide, depression, anxiety, and we're not talking about midlife crisis. You know, you heard that all the time, that you have a midlife crisis. I'm not sure where midlife happens. I'm, I'm starting to believe it's different for everyone. Uh, I, I'm under the impression that people have multiple midlife crises. I'm not sure how that happens. Midlife, you know, typically is one time. Dad says 65 is his. At 65, he had a midlife crisis. But we're talking about kids. I'm talking about reading an article about an eight-year-old who not only took his life, but took his sister's life, a four-year-old. Eight years old. My question is, how do they even know how to take their own life? How can they be so depressed and anxiety-ridden at that age that they even contemplate suicide? And the only answer I can come up with is not just the attack of the enemy, but it's the surrounding environment, the culture that's around us. We are so much negativity that's going on in the world. We've got to stand firm because guess what? It's not fleshly battles. It appears in the flesh, but it's a spiritual battle. And we've got to win this battle in the spirit. So standing firm means to maintain our position. Firm is solidly fixed in place. So if you put that together with the previous scripture, you could say, when I put on the full armor of God, 
I will be able to maintain a position that is secure, solidly fixed in place without weakness or uncertainty against the schemes of the devil. That uncertainty part is really sticking out to me lately. When you are giving in to depression and anxiety and fear, notice I said giving in. We'll always be attacked with those things. It's what we do with those attacks. We're never going to get away from the attacks of the enemy. That's why we're putting on the full armor of God. You're going to be attacked. And I said it last time, you're attacked whether you admit it or not. But you want to be certain of who you are. We're going to talk about that today. Let me just recap some of the armor that we've already gone through. We've talked about surrounding ourselves with truth. Gird your loins up with truth. That means dig deep, dive in, surround yourself with truth. If you do that, you'll be able to spot the lies of the enemy. Then you need to put on your breastplate of righteousness. You need to pursue that right relationship with the Father. If you're not even pursuing it, pursuit of that right relationship with the Father. If you don't have that breastplate of righteousness, you've exposed your heart. And I guarantee you the enemy wants to crush it. And then we talked last time about shotting our feet with the gospel of peace. That, that term peace is extremely important. We a lot of times want to fight with physicality, anger, rage. I told you last time I wasn't really good at football because I just wasn't angry enough. I felt bad for the other guy. And if you notice, God's fighting style is completely opposite of man's. Where we see physicality, God sees spirituality. This fight is not a physical, fleshly fight. It is a spiritual fight done mostly on our knees in prayer. It's a fight filled with lots of love, peace, and sound mind. God said, I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but of love, peace, and a sound mind. We're supposed to go whenever and wherever God calls, which means we got to be ready. we got to put our shoes on, and those shoes should be ones of peace. You look at the climate in our nation alone and around the world, and I'm not hearing statements of love of peace, and I certainly don't see sound mind right now. And it is our job as Christians to be that example, to stand firm when we see this going on. People should be able to look at us and see that scripture we talked about months ago that God will give us the peace that passes all understanding. When you can stand in the midst of trials and tribulations, and you can stand strong and certain, that's when the world gets confused. They don't know how you can be okay with all of the mess that's going on around you. So today we want to talk about taking up our shield of faith. And I want to take just a minute to set the table for you. Ephesians 6.16 says, In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. This shield is extremely important. As we've talked about, each piece of armor is just as valuable as the next. We talked about how if you didn't have the, 
the, the gospel of peace on your shoes that you could be hit in the Achilles, right? You could be protected everywhere, but that one little spot right there could take you down. Well, the same thing is true about the shield. The shield has a massive, uh, important role in our armor. I want to do a little experiment with you. I have a jar of jelly beans I'm going to show you. And there are several different guesses, as you can see on the slide right now. One of those guesses is the correct number of jelly beans in the jar. Take just a minute, look up there, turn to your neighbor and tell them how many you think is in the jar. Then I have a list of favorite Christian artists. Yours may or may not be on this list. But this is just a list of several Christian artists. And it's a survey done, and these are the, the most popular based on the survey taken. Again, this is favorite Christian artists. Is yours listed up there? Okay, now I want to reveal to you the answer for the jelly beans. You got your guests ready? This is the number of jelly beans that were in the jar. How many of you got it right? Slip your hand up. All right, fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> There's no prize. Good job. All right, now, which one is the, the right choice for favorite artist? And I heard somebody say all of them. All right. Now let me ask you a question. When you decide what to believe in terms of your faith, is that more like guessing the number of jelly beans or more like choosing your favorite Christian artist? Let me say that again. When you decide what to believe in terms of your faith, is that more like guessing the number of jelly beans or more like choosing your favorite Christian artist? You know, what I hear is that more people identify their faith with their favorite Christian artist, meaning it's subjective, that it's based on your tastes, right? I, I picked up a, a tract. We'll be giving these out uh, during the Hallelujah Festival. Pretty proud of it myself. I didn't write it. Tam, I confused Tammy. So I'm really proud of this one. She said, did you write that one? I said, no, but I, I put our logo on the back and I put our information on there. I was really proud of how that came out. But it had a really cool point in here, and I, one of the reasons I, I was drawn to this particular tract was one of, the, one of the characters in there says, all that's important is that you're sincere in what you believe. I've heard that before. All that's important is that you're sincere in what you believe. Maybe you've thought that yourself. So then his buddy says to him, if you sincerely believe that your car will run on chocolate milk, then you can fill the tank with it and still get to work. I think we know how that turned out. Not only did, uh, did it not get to work, but the buddy didn't even let him put it in there. But that's the way we approach faith. We, we talk of faith as if it's subjective. Just look at all the denominations we have in Christianity alone. See if you've heard something like this before. If you really believe that you're a boy, then you're a boy. If you really believe that you're a girl, then you're a girl. I get tricked by this question all the time, evidently, because they ask me how many genders there are, and I'm, I'm pretty darn sure there are two. <laughs> but I'm told there are now supposedly 40-something. If you're confused on what gender you are, that to me is like a basic, simple, you know, I, I don't understand. But here's some others. Maybe that one doesn't get you, but what about this? 
How about rich? If you believe you're rich, are you rich? If you believe you're skinny, are you skinny? I've been working on that one. I believe very hardly, but it just doesn't. How about if you believe you're muscular, are you muscular? What about this one? If you believe you're good, are you good? We have to move away from this idea that faith and belief in Jesus Christ is subjective and built around our tastes and preference. It's very much like the jelly beans. There is an exact answer. Hebrews 11 tells us the definition of faith. Now, I put up the two different versions here, King James Version and New American Standard. One, because I learned it in King James Version, so it really speaks to me that way even more. But I enjoy reading out of the New American Standard, and so I wanted to kind of compare and see because they use different terms, and I just wanted to get an idea of, do they really say the same things? See, the King James says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Those words really speak to me. Substance. You know, what you're made of. Evidence is that proof. It's your testimony. New American Standard says faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And I looked up and assurance is being certain in the mind. And I thought, that should be the substance that I'm made up of. I should be certain of who I am in Christ Jesus. The conviction, that's compelling the admission of truth. Isn't that what we just said that evidence was, was proof, testimony, a.k.a. the truth? You see, it goes further in that chapter to tell you what faith is. And if you'll stick with me, I'm setting up my main point today. I just needed a few scriptures here to kind of really set the table. So bear with me just a little bit. In Hebrews 11, chapter 1, it talks about faith and gives example upon example. By faith, worlds were prepared by the Word of God. Worlds. I told Tammy, I said, you know, I looked in several different versions to see if maybe it was a typo. Because I only think of one world. But that is part of the problem. And she said, well, yeah, the spirit world. And I went, oh, yeah. And there may be other worlds out there. I don't know. I don't want to get into all that. But my point is, there's definitely a spirit world and a flesh world. And isn't that what we're talking about is the fact that we're fighting battles in the flesh world? But the battles need to be fought in the spirit. Noah prepared an ark for the salvation of his family. You don't think that was by faith? Amen. Building that large of a boat and your neighbor's coming by and you've been working on it for years... And they ask you why you're building the boat and you have to tell them because God spoke to me there's going to be a flood that kills everybody and I'm building it to save my family. All right, no, I got you, buddy. We're, uh, we're thinking about selling our house and getting away from you. He had faith. He knew. Abraham went to a place he didn't even know to receive an inheritance. He also was willing to sacrifice his son based on faith. Sarah conceived by faith. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. More importantly, he led them out of the hand of Pharaoh, out of slavery to a land flowing with milk and honey. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, Jesus was born, and by faith, Jesus endured the cross. Faith is knowing who you are in Christ Jesus. The reason that we are giving in to depression and anxiety and fear, I say again, giving in, because we are going to constantly be attacked from the enemy in these areas, 
But the reason that we are giving in is because we don't know who we are. Let me tell you who you are. Psalms 139 says, For you formed my inward parts. This is David speaking to God. So he's saying, For you, God, formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. And I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You can all say that. Substitute your name in there. For you, God, formed my, Herman's, inward parts. God, you wove me, Herman, in my mother's womb. And I, Herman, will give thanks to you, for Herman is fearfully and wonderfully made. Jeremiah tells us that God knows the plans that he has for us. He says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity. To give you a future and a hope. To give you a future and a hope. We give in to depression and anxiety and fear because we don't know the future. We don't have hope in tomorrow. God said, I have plans for you. 1 Corinthians 12 says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member but, men, but many. If the foot says, Because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, Because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? Let me say that part again. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? Let me put it another way. If everybody was a pastor, where would the congregation be? Not everybody is called to be a pastor. Not everybody is called to be an evangelist. Not everybody is called to be a missionary. That doesn't mean we don't support each other. That doesn't mean we can't go on missions trips. That doesn't mean you can't step into the podium and preach a sermon. But it's not necessarily what you're called to. We have to know what we are called to. And more importantly, we have to realize that being the pastor is not a more important job than being the missionary. It's not a more important job than being a member of the, of the church. God's saying they're all equal and they're all necessary. And that's what he's saying. If we're all eyeballs, then who's doing the hearing? If we're all ears, who's doing the smelling, the touching, the tasting? We have to have the different parts of the body to function properly. So why are so many people being bullied? Why are so many people bullying others, taking their own lives, battling depression, anxiety, and fear, struggling with identity and trying to get others to accept them? That's a key right there. We're working so hard to get other people to accept us. If we would just work on knowing that God accepts us for who we are and quit trying to please man because my experience with man is he keeps moving the goalpost. Every time I get near that end zone, he moves it a little further away. He shifts it. He changes it. But God doesn't. And God doesn't ask you to do anything different. All he asks is for you to submit to him. That's it. He didn't ask you to wear anything specific, say anything specific, 
do anything specific besides have faith in him because he has faith in you. I, I am personally sick and tired of hearing about our children being full of fear and anxiety Amen. and depression and the suicides. I don't want anybody to be in that, but I'm especially frustrated with our children because the children are being, they're, they're, they're learning these things from the culture that we have surrounded them with. I am telling you right now that I never had thoughts of suicide. I'm not better than you. I had to go back and think about why. Why didn't I? It's not like my generation hasn't grown up with stress and issues and problems. Every generation has stress, has issues, and they're all a little different. Now, adults will always say your generation has it harder than I did or it's different. I couldn't survive. That. I don't think that's true. I think each generation has their own unique issues. But it bothers me. Let, let me say it this way. Go to a kindergarten graduation for me and please pick out the next murderer, thief, killer. Pick out the next troublemaker. Now, used to, I would stand 100% certainty you couldn't do it. But I keep hearing stories of elementary kids doing some very heinous things. We're not talking about fussing at a teacher. We're talking about bringing knives and guns to school as an elementary student. I don't, I don't get that. That's the culture. That's what they're surrounded with. They're seeing on TV and video games, and it's in their family. It's in their community. It's everywhere they go. They think that is the answer because that's the way they've been trained. Am I telling you to stop going to movies and stop listening to music and stop playing video games? I'm saying it depends. I'm saying it depends on what you're playing and what you're listening to. If you're constantly filling your ears with death and destruction, then yes, I'm telling you to quit listening to it. We're supposed to speak life, not death. When my kids were growing up, they liked to play uh, different video games, and they liked the shooting games, but they also liked uh, the wrestling games. Keith, I know you'll appreciate that wherever you're at. There you go. And they loved playing the WWE games. The problem was it never failed. After about a week of doing that, I had to suspend them from playing that game because they started getting really rough with each other <laughs> and pile-driving each other from the top rope in the house. And, and it, it was funny because I would watch them. They didn't start out that way. They could play a time or two, and it'd be fun and all that stuff, but it never failed. The more they played that, the more aggressive they got. And so that's what I'm telling you. What you're feeding your body is going to come out whether you want it to or not. So how does that relate to the shield of faith? If you're feeding your body with faith, then faith is going to come out. If you're feeding your body with life, then life is going to come out. And we have got to start spending more time spreading life to everyone around us. Children should not be so anxiety-ridden that they're on medication. Children should not be so stressed that they are contemplating suicide. 
Children should not be so upset and confused about who they are that they're constantly changing back and forth and trying to identify in multiple various ways. They're seeking out their identity and they're trying to please the wrong people. Instead of trying to please God, they're trying to please others and man. And guess what? We do that too. Even the best of us that understand our identity slip back into that from time to time. You know, when I was younger, I remember my parents selling some letters, and they made several thousand dollars, none of which I've seen. <laughs> and then, right after they sold them, they're pretty sure that the person that bought them turned around and sold them for twice what he bought them for from them. Okay? Now, they weren't upset or disappointed about it because they got what they felt like was fair, and they were happy with what they got. They're letters. How many have ever written a letter before? Okay. How many have ever gotten paid for the letter you wrote? You got paid for the letter you wrote? Nice. I'll see you after class. One person, right? One person got paid for the letter that they wrote. So what made this letter so special? It wasn't any kind of special paper. Well, you see, and I'm going to get this name right because it makes me feel proud as Herman Edgar Mason this name was probably a little more unique than even mine. But evidently there's a great, 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 maybe a fifth great grandfather to me, I don't know, but his name was Augustus Romaldus Wright. Nope, he's on Wikipedia. I looked it up yesterday. That's exactly what I was about to say. You know, your mama always interrupts you. I just want you to know. Your mama always interrupts you. But I was about to say, he's so famous he even has a Wikipedia entry, Okay. But according to Wikipedia, which we know is always 100% accurate, his name is Augustus Romaldus Wright. I, I don't even care if it's Romulus. I mean, come on, that's not much of an improvement. But he had a son who received a pardon from a president, and that president's name was Abraham Lincoln. And you see, Abraham Lincoln had signed that letter, which made it very valuable willing for people to pay thousands of dollars. I've signed lots of stuff. I hadn't even gotten a dime off of it. I got a few grades, and sometimes they weren't very good. I got some punishments off some letters that I wrote, but I never got paid for any letters that I wrote. What's the point of that? What made that, that, that letter so valuable? It wasn't the letter. It wasn't even the words. It wasn't the paper it was, it was written on. The value of the letter came from its identification with a famous person. Our value comes from our identification with a famous person. Our identification is written in our hearts. And it says, Jesus lives here. There is no more powerful name. There is no more powerful inscription. There is no more powerful signature than Jesus. But you see, Satan does everything he can to cover that signature up and to try to hide it from us. He tries to devalue it. He tries to make us think it's not worth anything. I heard an advertisement recently, believe it or not, from Ronald Reagan Jr. Anybody else hear that announcement? Broke my heart. My understanding of President Reagan was that he was a Christian godly man. And you would hope that your children will follow that, that path, but it seems that uh, Ronald Reagan Jr. Has, has gone off the beaten path right now. And he is advocating for uh, a group, 
freedom from religion. But the part of the ad that really just was shocking was at the end he closes by saying, I'm Ronald Reagan, or he says, I'm Ron Reagan Jr. I'm an atheist, and I'm not afraid to burn in hell. He said that. Now, I've been around people that don't truly, honestly believe in hell. I've personally never been around anybody brave enough to just put it out there and just say, I'm not scared of burning in hell. You know what that tells me? He has no reality of what hell is. He has no reality of that. We have got to find our identity in Jesus Christ. If we do not find our identity through Christ, we will continue to bounce back and forth in and out this life. The shield of faith is extremely useful in blocking insults, persecution, all manner of evil. Again, if we're looking at it from a spiritual fight, we have to remember that Satan is always out there trying to make us stumble and fall. And it's no different today than it was back in the days of Adam and Eve. He uses different things to lure us, but the idea is that we become God. See, Eve wanted to be on the same level as God, and Satan told her that she could, and all she had to do was eat that apple. Maybe you don't eat the apple, but do you chase money? Do you chase power? Do you chase fame? If you're not chasing God, then you're chasing the wrong thing. If you're not chasing Jesus, you're chasing the wrong thing. I don't care what it is. And the problem is Satan has gotten us to identify with good and bad. And so we say, well, there's nothing inherently wrong with this. It's positive. So it's okay if I listen to it. It's okay if I do it. It's okay if I'm involved with it. But the reality is, does it help further my relationship with Christ? Does it get me closer to knowing and understanding God and who I am in God? If not, it's like hitting the pause button. Okay? You're not growing any closer if you're not spending any time seeking after Him. The reason I brought up the shield of faith and blocking insults and, and persecution and false accusations was because to me, that's what triggers our depression attacks. That's what triggers the anxiety. That's what triggers the fear. See, bullies don't have any power over us. Let me preface this by saying I realize there are different kinds of bullying. I'm specifically talking to the verbal bullying right now. The cyberbullying, the, the verbal bullying, things that are just words. There used to be a saying growing up, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt. And the reality is they, they shouldn't hurt us, but we give them power. We, we give power to those that are saying things against us, like we're friends with them anyway. Who cares if they don't like me? Who cares if they think I'm dumb or stupid? I'm not trying to please them anyway. I've got my set of friends in my family. Those are the people that I want that relationship with. I don't care what the bullies are saying. But it doesn't seem to me that we are... It seems we need more training. It seems we as parents need to remind ourselves that we're going to go through stuff. 
There are going to be insults. There are going to be false accusations. There are going to be attacks. So instead of trying to go and defend every attack and trying to get people to quit attacking, what we ought to be doing is spending time on how to defend ourselves against the attacks. And that is through Christ, through peace and love and sound mind. For having faith in who we are. You can call me dumb and stupid all day long, but I know who I am. You can say anything you want about me, but I know the truth of who I am. When we identify, when we have our faith built up in Christ, and we listen to what he's saying about us. He said we were fearfully and wonderfully made. So when somebody else tells you you're a piece of junk, why are you listening to them? They don't know you. They didn't make you. They don't have plans for you. God made you. And he said you were fearfully and wonderfully made. He made us in his image. In his image. Do you think he's sitting there going, Phew, that, mm, that don't, that's not right. No, he sat back and he said, this is good. He was excited about it. Let me tell you how excited he is about you. How many of you read uh, Leviticus. I contend it is by far the most boring book I have ever read through. And I think I just recently read through it for the first time from start to finish. I have made it through chapter two or three many times. And then they get to repeating themselves over and over again. They get to repeating themselves over and over again. They get to repeating themselves over and over again. They get to repeating themselves. See, it gets annoying after a while, doesn't it? That's what happens when I'm reading. Matter of fact, a couple times I'm looking through going, didn't I read this chapter already? I swear I think I read that already. But let me tell you what I did get from the book of Leviticus. God loves you so much, and he loved his people so much that he laid out everything it would take just so he could be amongst them. He couldn't just come into the sin, not because of him, but he would have burned everybody up and killed them because he's not going to exist in the same space as sin, and since he's not going away and not going to not exist, then he is going to burn up that sin. So he had to have a space where he could come and be amongst the people. That's why only certain people could go into the tent and the Holy of Holies. Because everybody else would have come in there and died. As a matter of fact, it happened. Aaron and his sons were called to fill that position, and yet two of his sons didn't do it the right way and died. These are the people God said should be there doing it, and it still killed them. Why? Because God wanted them dead? No, because they didn't follow the instructions. Why were the instructions so important? Because God wanted to be there amongst his people. When that still didn't work out well for the people, because for some reason in uh, Numbers, the next book, Again, I found myself thinking, have I read this chapter? Because it starts out, the people of Israel complained to Moses. Okay, this, these are people that physically saw the miracles. I hear about the miracles and they're phenomenal. They saw them, they experienced them, and they're still complaining. But God's still trying to be with them. God's still trying to be with us. Send his only son. So then we have to build the tent of Moses all the time and follow all of the rituals just to have a glimpse of his presence. 
sent his only son to be that final sacrifice. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he wants to be around you. That's how much he thinks of you. And you're going to turn around and talk like the children of Israel and see that and experience that and start complaining and grumbling? What you need to understand better is what plan God has for your life. You see, I hear all the time, I've not experienced it, but I hear all the time rich people not being happy. I'm not opposed to experiencing the richness part of it. <laughs> but the problem is they chase after the money and then that doesn't bring them ultimate happiness. Only God is going to bring that ultimate happiness. But he made you and he made you good. When this world starts to get you down, stressed out, We've got to go back to the spiritual battle. We've got to remember our shield of faith, and we have to remember who we are in Christ Jesus. Satan has tried to do this to us since the days of Adam and Eve. And the last point I want to, I want to tell you here is to build that faith. Again, you've got to continue to surround yourself with life. You have to continue to pump into yourself life, the music you're listening to, the things you're reading, the people you're hanging around. Remember, Jesus did minister to everybody, but he didn't hang around everybody. We confuse that a lot of times. We think we're supposed to go and hang out with people just because God tells us to love all people. God wants you to love people, and he wants you to minister to them, but you don't have to hang out with them, and you shouldn't be hanging out with people that are not speaking life into you. So how do you build that faith? I kind of alluded to it with the children of Israel, and I think it should have worked out better for them with their faith because they, again, experienced those miracles. But it's called building your testimony. Remember back when we defined what evidence was? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen, the proof, the testimony. Why is the testimony so important? Because of this right here. You and I can debate scriptures all day long, and that's what's happened to all the denominations. We have nitpicked and looked at different scriptures so much that we're going our separate ways on certain issues. But you can never, ever debate and convince me that I haven't experienced something I know I experienced. In my lifetime, I have been blessed with two vehicles, and I've told you this story before, so I won't go through it again. But I am in the process of believing for a vehicle. I am not struggling to believe in that vehicle. Why? Because it's happened to me twice before. I know it'll happen again. I don't know what form it'll take. I don't know how it's going to happen. But I know God is going to take care of it. How do I know that? Because it's happened to me before my testimony is. Right? I'm at the point now I'm having to live a life completely full of faith and trust because I quit my job. And I decided to jump full-time into ministry. I didn't take that lightly, and I didn't just decide it on a whim. Did a lot of prayerful consideration and a lot of uh, talking to what I call my inner circle, people that I just trust with my life and trust what they say. And I'll be honest with you, even then sometimes I don't take their advice. But the majority of the time I do, and that's who I confide in. You need that as well, okay? But based on testimony, and I'm telling you things have happened that prove to me over and over again that God's got me. Let, let me explain one bit of my testimony to prove to you that God's got me, okay? And then I will close, maybe. 
Because I haven't read to you my favorite scripture. I don't want to get away without reading my favorite scripture. When I, when I decided to go into ministry full time, I took a little bit of a pay cut. I went from uh, a few thousand dollars to zero dollars. So it, it was a little bit tough. And, and I taught math for 15 and a half years. And so the math behind this really blows my mind because it doesn't work out. Because in, in, in the math world, when I taught school, two plus two always equaled four. In, in God's world, it's weird because I have no money, but he asked me to give more. So I give more even though I don't have it, and then all of a sudden I have it. I, I don't understand it. What do I mean? Obviously, I'm talking about tithes and offerings. So I've told you before that I started giving tithes and offerings again after a, a hiatus where I bought into the lies of the enemy and thought I could do a better job with my finances, and I didn't honor God with them. And it's interesting because I never could crawl out from underneath any of the bills or the debt or anything, no matter how hard I tried. And I kept telling myself, I need this money I'm giving for tithes and offering to help pay this bill. And yet, in the month, I still didn't have enough money. I, I don't understand. So now I'm making less. Let me just tell you, I'm making at least $50,000 less a year, okay? Not a small chunk of change, right? None of my bills went away. For the last year and a half, I've had the same bills. In fact, I started paying another bill, a school bill that I'd put on deferment. I'm starting to pay back now. And then on top of that, I wasn't giving tithe, and I started giving tithe like I was supposed to. Actually, I was giving almost tithe. See, God convicted me. I was, I was tithing off of the... Uh, the net, which means after taxes and everything's taken out. And by the way, this is not a message to convict you. You do what God tells you to do, okay? But he had been telling me he wanted me to give off the gross. So I knew that I wasn't doing what I was supposed to, even though I was starting to give again. So then Mr. Jim and Miss Pat get up and testify on how, God good is, how good God is, and they give off the gross, and they don't even hesitate. And I go, okay. So now I've got to increase what I'm giving more. But now I'm starting to believe. Now I'm starting to have faith. And all of a sudden, the amount that I've given extra each month, every month since Tammy and I started doing that, I have gotten a gift somewhere from somebody that equals that amount or more every month. Now it's gotten to the point, amen. It's gotten to the point now that I'm so excited about now I just go, okay, Lord, how's it going to happen this month? How's it going to happen this month? And it hasn't failed yet. It's amazing, right? So everything's going well. That's when the temptation comes in. That's when the attack comes in. And I've been sending my check through a bank draft. Automatically comes out. They send a paper check. It gets to the church. They deposit it. It's good to go. I don't even think about it. It comes out done. Except this month, something glitched with the system. And it never showed up. And it's getting towards the end of the month. It's getting a little tight. And temptation set in. And the attack started to come. You really could use that money for other stuff. But because I've been surrounding myself with truth, and because I've been surrounding myself with life, and then because I know the testimony that God's put inside of me, and what I just told you, I got the checkbook the next day. I wrote the check, gave that sucker to Joni and said, deposit it now. <laughs> Take this temptation away from me. Get it gone. Why? Because the testimony, I've seen God work. Revelation 12, 11, and I will close with this. Revelation 12, 11 says, and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony and they did not love their life even when faced with death. 
The blood has already been shed. There is nothing you have to do. To have a testimony, you got to go through some stuff. It's your perspective and how you interpret that. Is it bullying? It may be. I don't know. But how you choose to look at that will make all the difference in the world to you. And whether or not you're struggling with stress and anxiety and depression and fear and suicidal thoughts. But I can promise you this, if you choose to trust God and what He said about you, instead of what anybody else says about you, you will always win, even if you lose your physical life. You cannot be afraid to lose your life for Christ. you got to step up, because I promise you, the book of Revelation tells us that things are definitely going to get a lot more chaotic and a lot more crazy. And we better be prepared to handle it. To me, the reason that our children, and even us, are struggling so much with our identity is because we are trying to be something that we're not. You see, Jesus isn't looking for you to be anybody but you. He's called you just the way you are. I can tell you right now that you will never, ever talk me out of my relationship with Jesus Christ. The reason is because of that faith that has been built up in me over time. The people that have surrounded me in my life, the people that my parents put in my path, my parents, my grandparents, they are, they are the reason that I am who I am. Everybody in this building can be that. If you're not struggling with anxiety and fear and depression, praise God, show somebody else how to get out of that. Be that light to somebody that's struggling. Be that life that they so desperately need. Remind them who they are. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you're loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman, an elder at Southside, to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.